Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, we'll talk to Jesse Terry and Alex Wong here in just one second, but here's a question for you. Do you feel younger than you appear? Under eye bags, crow's feet, and wrinkles, they often add years to our appearance. And, oh my God, that sting when someone thinks you're 10 years older than you actually are. It's crushing to the ego and the confidence level plummets. But let's talk about a quick and easy fix. Plexiderm. It's a clinically studied topical serum that visibly eliminates wrinkles, crow's feet, fine lines, and under eye bags in just a matter of minutes. It's exactly what you need to win the battle against Father Time and restore your confidence. And if you don't believe it, don't worry about it. I didn't believe it either until I tried it. I did the test in 10 minutes the fine lines around my eyes were gone i couldn't believe it It was a miracle go to triplexiderm.com use my promo code sexy liberal that's two words sexy liberal for 50 percent off plus an additional ten dollars off your first canister of plexiderm that's right 50 percent off plus an extra ten dollars off this offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code sexy liberal Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today. Use the code SEXYLIBERAL at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com, code SEXYLIBERAL. And now, let the cartoons begin. Broadcasting from Resistance Headquarters, relentlessly fighting back against the clown dictator and his regime of deplorables. Never give up, never surrender. This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, November 13, 2019, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. My guests today are a pair of musicians, Jesse Terry and Alex Wong, who just released an EP titled Kivalina to raise awareness of the tragic impact of the climate crisis on a small village in Alaska and the native Alaskans who live there. You might recognize Jesse Terry from the Bob Seska Show. Songs like Dangerous Times and Woken the Wildflowers have become staples on the show. And Alex Wong is an accomplished record producer and songwriter based in Nashville, Tennessee. Working together on the Kivalina album has resulted in a musical triumph, bringing the climate crisis down to an emotional, human level. All right, let's chat with Jesse and Alex. Well, I got to say right out the, at the start here, it's a huge honor to speak to you both. Um, Jesse, you've become like a requested favorite on my podcast. So officially, thank you for the privilege of uh, letting me play your music on the show. And, and now there's this uh, Kivalina EP, which is uh, chills inducing. It's an EP, but it's a concept album. Uh, sad, uplifting. And I, I strongly urge everyone to support this record. I got links in the description for to, to purchase it, to support it. Um, we're going to come back to the EP in a 
second. But first, Jesse, um, tell me about the village of Kivalina and its significance related to the climate crisis. Well, Alex, um, Alex brought it to my attention, really, just on a, a regular co-writing day in mm-hmm. Nashville. And, and he said, um, he was pretty much just like, man, I, I've been reading this story about this, this village that's going underwater by the year 2025, and it's, it's pretty heavy, and I'm not sure if I even want to write today. I'm pretty sure that was kind of the conversation. And, and we, <laughs> wow. you know, we started, started drinking a lot of coffee, as we always do, um, and maybe <laughs> crying a little bit, as we always do when we, when we write. But, yeah. Um, yeah. no, seriously, we, we got into it, and, and before long, some music was really helpful and really healing. Yeah. Um, and that allowed us to to kind of express things that that um that words you know when when words don't suffice. Alex, so tell me, I mean, Jesse just threw this bombshell thing in the middle of all of this that that Kivalina, this uh, village in Alaska, is going to be underwater by 2025. Give us some of the background of of how the climate crisis is specifically affecting uh, this particular village and the uh, indigenous people who live there. Yeah, well, um, I am no expert, but I was reading, as Jesse was mentioning, uh, I had I had found an article that day, and I was just kind of reading it, and I kind of got lost in the story about, um, you know, I think the, the headline of the article was, uh, you know, the first, one of the first uh, North American towns to be a, a, like a casualty of climate change. And um, I, what they meant by that was... Um, that there was uh, this village Kivalina in Alaska that that uh, along with other villages kind of at that same uh, latitude um, which are uh, basically sinking or uh, I guess the sea is rising around them and mm. um, you know in, in I think the article was written a few years ago they were saying 10 years out now it's probably seven or eight years um Jesus. it's just going to be uninhabitable because mm-hmm. the the seasonal storms come in and it, each year it's just it keeps getting worse as well as the permafrost is is not um as dependable as it as it used to be so they their economies of of hunting and sort of way of life are starting to not be as uh as dependable so they're they're kind of you know facing this this fight or flight like one of one of our songs actually called fight or flight but that's sort of how it how this article was kind of framing it that they were just at this decision of what what to do you know mm-hmm. and that's what really got got me um and as jesse and i started talking about it more it was just such a it was it was powerful because it was not so um exotic as you know not that images of you know polar bears floating on icebergs and, and glaciers falling into the ocean can be pretty powerful, but they're also yep. really abstract to someone like me who grew up in, you know, uh, the Bay Area and has never lived in an area where I've even seen any of these things with my own eyes. So um, sometimes that would almost go over my head. Yeah. And this story really nailed me because they were talking about these everyday things. They were talking about, um, well, where do we, you know, our kids are in the middle of their school year. What do we do? Where do we, where do we send our kids to school? And yep. um, questions like, you know, if our if our grandparents are buried in in the cemetery and the cemetery goes underwater, what do we do? What does that mean? How how do we, you know, what are the practical ways that we deal with that? And um, that's just started spinning us out into 
a lot of bigger questions that we don't tend to think about, like identity. And, and, you know, we're so used to being tied to a piece of land as part of our identity. And if that land Mm -hmm. literally disappears, does a part of our identity disappear? Um, So it's just, it just started to kind of blow our minds more and more as we got deeper into it from an emotional standpoint, which is kind of the only place that I think we, we can, uh, you know, connect on, in a legitimate way to the story because we're not not being climate experts, not being from the region. Um, it was just on an emotional level that we felt this connection and resonation yeah. with what they were going through. Yeah, um, like so this is we, a matter of centuries of cultural heritage potentially being buried here, just to, within not just our lifetimes, within the next decade, for God's sake. And isn't part of the crisis in uh, Kivalina specifically the fact that they sustain themselves on whale hunting and they require uh, the sea ice in order to to go hunting, and now the sea ice is disappearing, mm-hmm. right? Is that what's uh, yeah. one of the specific things going on? Absolutely. As far as we, as far as we learned, um, and then to add further complication to it, they had been sort of moved around by our, our own government, um, based on sort of relocation, you know, to the, to the government's, uh, <laughs> uh specific needs at the time or whatever. And, um, and so some of it is, complicated by sort of these interests like there was they actually went into this lawsuit um suing exxon mobile yeah. uh because of the sort of you know the, the willful kind of uh destruction of their of their land and environment um yeah, I mean, it seems like a familiar story. We do this to indigenous people a lot, whether it's uh, Native yeah, Americans. We're, we're real good at it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've done this to uh, Native Hawaiians. We've done this to certainly Native Alaskans, too, uh, based on what you're saying here. Is it possible for us to get to Kivalena, or is it something, is it a, it's more of a secluded village that isn't really accessible uh, from the outside? I mean, I guess the, the point of what I'm trying to ask here is, is this something that we can see up close and in person? Uh, the fact that the you know this is a, a direct result of the climate crisis, beyond hurricanes, beyond some of the things that we typically expect, is this something that we can walk up to and go there? That's the climate crisis happening right here. Yeah, I do think. I mean, you can get there. Yes, it's not not necessarily on a United flight or something, but <laughs> there. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it is definitely possible mm. to get there, and, and we we've met a, a few people um, who have come from that region or who've been there um and uh yeah it's a it's a very 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 visible uh visible thing and 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 actually you know what what i think really hit us was how it made us think about all the places in in the in the lower 48 that are are also where it's very plain to see these these changes like there's uh, there are islands in in the chesapeake bay that are going to also be underwater and in I think less than a, a decade as well. Yep. Um, yeah, ironically, a, yeah. some of the strongest climate denier strongholds, <laughs> as far as I understand. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, in Miami and all these places where I think it's very obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we wanted to kind of um, speak to the 
the everyday part of this massive yeah, yeah. existential thing. And Jesse, this yeah, isn't this isn't yeah. just about Kivalina, is it? There's a there's a, a million other Kivalinas that no, are potentially. Yeah, I, mean, that, I mean, I think the the inspiring or really de- difficult thing about Kivalina was hearing these these really personal stories of 400 villagers. But um, Alex and I had the the honor of going out to Berkeley, California, to perform um, at an environmental conference um, not too long ago, mm-hmm. and. Um, I was I got picked up from the airport by a, a scientist and and the whole drive we talked about it and he said he said you know this is not um, this is not a new thing it doesn't get a lot of press coverage but like you know there's a huge part of the um, Korean Peninsula that you know millions of people have been displaced um, and you know pretty much on a daily basis now I'm getting some kind of forward from Alex or my manager or my publicist, you know, with a story about more people that are being displaced. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just something that, you know, like, it's something that I think, um, unfortunately, is, is becoming a reality to, to people everywhere. And it's, it, and we just thought it would be an important thing to write about. And it's, and it seems like since we, since we released it, and since we wrote it, it just becomes, it, it seems to be becoming more dire. And, much more common that we keep on getting these these links forward to it forwarded to us. Yeah, did you have a sense of urgency as you're recording? Like, I mean, every second counts in all of this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's one of our songs is called Ten More Years," and it's already uh, it's already an outdated song. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We knew that when we wrote it too, but but we were, yeah. The, there was a quote. A lot, a lot of most of these songs had you know an origin i mean they're they're it's it's a it's a fictional it's about a fictional couple in a real situation mm-hmm. um and this and this is the situation but um a lot of the the songs were derived from from interviews with the villagers and that was that was a line I, a quote from one of the interviews i believe you know you know we should have more than 10 more years um yeah because they've lost i think about half at least half of their landmass already and as oh my as god the, yeah and as the you know so and and mother nature is not you know she she won't be defeated you know i mean like they've put up big walls and they've put up which which are in some of the songs is in that song nowhere that you played mm-hmm. um you know they they've they've put up sandbags and stuff like it's not going to it's not going to last forever you know that that kind of stuff doesn't work forever you know and we can see that I live in New England. I mean, I can see that in Cape Cod. You know, people are worried about losing their multi-million-dollar beach beachfront homes because of erosion there. You yeah. Know? So it's. Um, well, yeah, yeah so. you know, that actually brings up an interesting concern, which is that um, those beachfront homes, Donald Trump's place in Mar-a-Lago is going to be well protected by, you know, seawalls and everything else they can construct there. But smaller towns, obviously people who don't have the means to mitigate the effects of the climate crisis, they're going to be screwed. I mean, half of their landmass, half of Kivalina is gone. Is that right? It's just I want to make sure we're perfectly clear on that. It's gone. I believe I, I should I should probably Google it to to be a hundred percent sure. I certainly don't want to be like 
I, I certainly don't want to be, be um, I should get a, a perfectly good source for that. Um, well, I mean, sure it's, I'm it's 100% it, sure, but um, yeah, I mean, it's not yeah. something that, that, that suddenly it's January 1st, 2025. And then like a snap, it disappears. This is a gradual overtaking yeah, yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, by now, it, it certainly is a gradual, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it, it's certainly a gradual thing and, and they've, you know, been noticing it and that's why they're talking about it. And yeah. obviously they've noticed the, you know, the ice melting, which affects this little inlet that they had, which was very still, um, we protected them from storms and also, um, created this, this space where they could hunt the whales. So now the whales are just, are all over the place and, and it's affecting them in economic ways. And, um, it's, it's affecting them with poverty, which, which, you know, we know leads to, to alcoholism and all kinds of things. I mean, a lot of things are tied in with economics and, um, you know, your way of life. So they're, they're going through something that's very difficult and, um, certainly something that I, I, I want to see reversed, you know, not just in my lifetime, but, um, I, I have a 15 month old daughter and I, I just, I want her to have a, I want her to, to have a world to live in. And, um, there, you know, there's so much beauty where I live. I'm, I, I live on the coast of New England, you know, and yeah, I, I, it's, it's like, like Alex said, you know, being from the, him being from the Bay area, like this is, isn't that far removed from us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that it, it hits home in, in a very powerful way. Uh, are the villagers of Kivalina aware of, uh, your project? Are they aware of the EP or is this something that you eventually plan to, uh, maybe bring up to them and, and, and let them know that there are people here, uh, in the lower 48 who are striving to help, uh, protect them from this, uh, impending crisis. Yeah. Um, we've, we've started to try to connect with, uh, people in the region, not just that village, but some neighboring villages. And we've had some, um, some help from some people who are, uh, like liaisons between the, the tribes and our, uh, government and just, you know, people who have been sort of fans who are also connected to that, who are trying to help us. Um, but we have, I think we have a long way to go with, uh, spreading the word and, um, kind of figuring out how, how we can help. Yeah, we were moved to do this project, but I don't think we thought beyond expressing what we were feeling about it. Yeah, I mean, one one of the many things that keeps me awake at night is the uh, the lack of public urgency on this issue. I mean, from my personal experience, I don't know if you guys are seeing the same thing, but whenever I write about the climate crisis, it mostly gets ignored. I think partly because, and I think this is a a major, major prong of why this is happening. I think people are afraid to face the catastrophic news. There isn't really a lot of uplifting news when you're talking Mm -hmm. about the climate crisis. It's an impending disaster. That's not only about the land and the beachfronts and the villages. It's about the people who exist in that in those areas and the people who are going to be affected, as you say, uh, poverty, uh, alcoholism sets in disease, sickness, and then suddenly we're losing entire populations of people. We've got a refugee crisis that will be uh, on the horizon. I think people look at that stuff and they go, oh, my God, well, what can I do about that? I mean, I'm recycling my garbage. Right. I'm d- driving a, yeah. an electric vehicle. What more can I This is such a disaster. I mean, do you think music ultimately is going to cut through all of that and ultimately trigger maybe a greater sense of urgency? Is that, I mean, Alex, is that kind of the goal behind this? 
I wouldn't say it was a concrete, um, you know, uh, like we weren't shooting necessarily for that, but I do think that music, you know, in the same way that I think living your, you know, it's like if, if one person drives an electric car or stops eating meat or whatever, it's, you know, statistically that's doing basically nothing. But what I think it does do is inspire the people around that person and cause ripple effects. And, you know, when they go out to dinner with their friends, maybe their friends eat less meat and then their friends, eat, you know, it, it's that sort of uh, a power. And I think music, that's how I feel about music too, is it's not, it's a soft power, I guess you could say. Um, but it, it really, yeah, it's, it, I guess just to inspire without being preached to, I think that's, that's the, always the, the trick with stuff like this. It's tricky to write about these kinds of subjects, but trying to express a real emotion that I think, you know, people, I think they're one of the reasons they do kind of hide their heads is because it's so, it is so massive. It's so unmanageable and it's, it requires confronting like wow i have to personally change these major things in my life right now and that's uncomfortable yeah doing a project like this where it's sort of speaking to a different part of the you know speaking more to the heart than the brain um might you know i i'm hoping that it's something that is a little bit more of a like encouraging or inspiring rather than like a shaming or uh, stress inducing absolutely i I think one of the most important aspects of this album just listening to the songs there's a personal emotional aspect to it that is i think it combines the melancholy of looking at the degree of the crisis with bringing everything down to a human level where i think a lot of times when we talk about the climate crisis a lot of science obviously that needs to be part of it but i think uh you know charts and graphs and al gore pointing to the graphs probably doesn't do as much as a song that i think cuts right to the the heart of of the listener uh, the hearts of the listeners uh whether it's a, a live audience or whether it's listening to the album i mean uh jesse i know you were going to jump in a, a second ago yeah i mean i I think like Alex said the the first step to songwriting or or creating anything is to be passionate about what you're writing about so we didn't we didn't have a plan uh, as we were writing we just wanted to to write stuff that was real and and mm-hmm. of course write stuff that was good and and sing good and stuff like that you know what I mean like that's the first part yeah. of any of this stuff to get any notice um, sure. but you know I think speaking to to what you guys were talking about, I think a little bit about change and a little bit about um, what we can do um, and how how the music can affect people. Um, you know, I don't want to condemn anyone because I could easily be condemned. I mean, I I tour for a living. I'm flying. You know, I'm leaving tomorrow to go play shows all over the Northeast. On, Monday, I'm flying to the the UK to play shows. I mean, these are things that are polluting the environment. You know, that are, so I I really think I really think that things have to to have to come from the, the the top down in some ways, and and hopefully that America can be an example um, for the world because not not everyone has the means. 
I mean, I can't buy an electric guitar. Uh, electric, I can buy an electric guitar. I can't, <laughs> I can't buy a, I just bought an electric guitar. I can't buy an electric car right now yeah. and and play my show in Minneapolis from Connecticut. You mm -hmm. know, I, I can't do that. I, I can't, um, you know, I, it would be very difficult for me to even fit my stuff in it, a hybrid. I mean, I've looked into larger hybrid vehicles they're they're not only very expensive but they're not cutting down that much on the miles per gallon so i think that the the really the big ideas in um you know i hate talking politics but like the big ideas in politics i i feel like it, it's come to a point where it has to come from that and somebody has to be have a really great plan because um you know, when I go to Texas, I might be playing to some really lovely people that happen to feed their family, you know, from the oil industry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't want to can I don't think condemning those people is the right thing to do. I think I think giving um, and I'm not saying that we were. I'm just saying that I think having a plan for people to transition to a new way and to and to make it economically, you know, sustainable, because like our, you know, our first our first instinct as human beings and as parents is to, you know, pay the, pay the bills and survive and put food on the table and mm -hmm. take care of our kids. And there, I mean, don't you, don't you agree? I mean, there has to be a plan, um, where I think we're the beacon for the world. And also we're able to transition into sustainable energies and, and we start cleaning up this crisis and we, and we, we start creating jobs in that sector that, that are you know, and, and just being on the uh, on the forefront of innovation, I, I feel like that's that's the that's the key to me. The, the issue of of economics, the issue of personal finances versus trying to to be aware of what's going on and trying to do your part in accomplishing some sort of change along these lines. I mean, there's lots of ways to do it. You don't have to buy a hybrid car. You don't have to uh, recycle every piece of recyclable packaging that you get uh, on a daily basis at the grocery store or wherever. But you can also buy carbon offsets. You can also do things that will help along these lines. And I think producing this right. album goes a long way to making up for the fact that, uh, you know, I think all three of us use air travel. and We all have cars that, that burn gasoline. But we also do things to make up for that. And I think it's a matter of finding that balance where we're all doing our part right. and then also maintaining our reasonable, you know, uh, lifestyles and our own personal budgets. I think that makes perfect sense. And I think offering people those options goes a long way to helping the medicine go down. Yeah. And I think that the people, the people that are in power, I mean, they, they, they just want to stay in power. I mean, that seems to be the, the overriding. I think for most politicians, you know, so yeah. um, I saw it in the UK just in this last tour I was at, like people, people are starting to eat vegan over there a lot. And mm -hmm. you go into some 12th century UK pub that, you know, you're expecting to just see like pork and, and a slab of like beef on the menu. And there's like, <laughs> there's like, here's our vegan menu. You know what I mean? And you're like, what? Like, it's, it's like, it's because, you know, vegan, in my experience, the vegan movement is much bigger in the UK right now than the US and almost every place has a vegan menu yeah. that I went to yeah. on this last tour. And so people, you know, things do change and if we were if we were creating change, um, you know, some people say, "Oh, you know, we we'd need every country in the world 
to to cut carbon and to make all these changes to do it well you know maybe they maybe they would follow suit if if america did you know what i mean right, like right. so it, it seems it, someone someone has to be like a grown up and and um and make some big changes and and have some big ideas that that makes sense. Are you guys intending to do any shows uh, together? I know Jesse, you've got a long tour ahead of you. I was just looking at your dates uh, before we started here, and Alex, you've got a couple of shows lined up too. Do you intend to get together for a few of those and uh, and perform the the songs from the album, or is there a a, a plan in place to to tour this EP? We uh, would love to do that, and we're, we're talking about. Uh, ways we can do that next year uh, with both of our crazy schedules. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, we yeah, have. We love uh, doing it. Yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing concrete. But as soon as we are able to plan something, we will, we will get the word out for sure. You know, um, just getting into the the project itself. Uh, you know, one of the things that caught my mind right away when I first got the EP was the uh, the remake of Dangerous Times. It was a Jesse song. It's one of your songs, Jesse, uh, that was re recorded for this project. It's got a whole new vibe to it. Uh, you know, different from the, yeah. the the original version. Walk me through the the writing and recording process. I mean, did you guys both bring songs and ideas to the table, or was it a pure collaboration where you're both sitting in the room and saying, Let, "Let's do this." How did that? No, uh, that's that. That song is actually a co-write um, with Alex. So, like mm. this, this project was actually written. Um, I think we probably finished it, you know, 2015, 2016, right, Alex? Right around then. And then yeah, some, something like that. And we had some different projects kind of coming out. I had like my solo album, and um, I asked Alex if I could. I, I just love Dangerous Times so much. I wanted to do a different kind of version of it. So really the version that Alex and I did was the the first version. Oh, wow. That's and a- I did. Yeah. And I did a second version. I didn't play. I don't believe I even played the version that Alex and I did to my producer mm-hmm. that um, I was making my album with. Cause I, I didn't want it to be influenced. Um, I don't think I did. Um, I really wanted it to be its own thing, but I just, um, I just love the song so much. Um, yeah. And I, I thought it connected to so many different things, and of, of course, people that that hear it think it's about different things. You know, hear people that heard it on my Stargazer record. Um, nobody said, "Oh, that's about the climate crisis," right? You know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then, but yeah, so songs can mean so many different things, and and um, so it was really. Would, would you would you prefer to leave it up to interpretation, or did you have something in mind when you first uh, when you guys first sat down, Alex specifically? You can add to this uh, when you first started to write this, uh, whether it was with the lyrics or uh, the overall vibe of the song, the concept of the song. Was that uh, what was the intention with that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just you saying like songs. Songs are funny because they, you know, one of the most beautiful things about them is that they do they can mean different things at different times, different to different people. And um, um, like this song was a good example. Um, I actually had written the chorus of the song um, a couple years before Jesse and I got together and it was just a chorus and it never found a home. And it actually came from a, emotionally a place that we were trying to kind of mine with this song. Like we, the way we sketched out the album was almost like the, like, I don't know, like the five stages of acceptance or something where there were these um, sort of like 
you know, the, the, each song represents sort of a different emotion of mm-hmm. going through what we are, we're kind of imagining um, this the struggle to be, and, and as well as like the personal struggle with the with yeah. the two fictitious characters, and and you know, this one was kind of the the this one and nowhere we're kind of trying to express sort of this height of um, anger and frustration and and like um, just feeling helpless, but with a lot of anger existential anger and also anger towards sort of the 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 these powers that be that really you know don't give a, you know a crap about them yeah and um just sort of being pawns in this in this you know bigger you know scenario and so that chorus came back around um because it was also written from kind of this uneasiness and like this this feel this feeling of anxiety and I, I just didn't have I had that feeling and that's it and I didn't have the rest of what I wanted to save so it just sort of sat there for as, as a lot of scraps often do sit just sit on my phone or whatever <laughs> and um and so yeah so it's funny it's like things just find a home when they're supposed to and this one you know I played the for just I uh, played the chorus for Jesse and, and we kind of connected to it in a different way and started flushing out this flushing out this uh this song because it finally had a context we'll get back to our conversation with alex and jesse here in just one second but first i have to tell you it has been a couple of years since i had my teeth cleaned i've never actually successfully whitened my teeth dentists cost a bundle out of pocket teeth whitening trays are sloppy and expensive and they burn my gums teeth whitening strips cost a fortune and i barely notice any difference but the holidays are coming office parties family gatherings all those cringeworthy pics of me smiling with my discolored coffee stained teeth but not me not this year i'm gonna have sparkling pearly white teeth because i'm holding my fresh box of power swabs you never really whitened until you've whitened with power swabs they're clinically proven to whiten an average of two shades in the first five minutes five minutes power swabs never leave my teeth and gums all sore and sensitive like other whitening strips and it's totally safe and effective on all dental work if you're not happy power swabs are backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee you need to try power swabs and you will not believe how much whiter your teeth will be in just five minutes I got a great deal for you. Go to buypowerswabs.com. Again, buypowerswabs.com. Use the code SEXY, S-E-X-Y, for 40% off, an additional $10 off, plus a free quick stick. Yeah, that's right. 40% off plus $10 off plus a free quick stick. Or you can call 1-800-668-1749 and use my code SEXY. That's buypowerswabs.com, code SEXY. Visit buypowerswabs.com today. The Bob Seska Show.
dangerous times, dangerous times. Grab hold of me, grab hold of me. These are dangerous times, dangerous times. I never thought I'd live to see. These are dangerous times, dangerous times. Grab hold of me, grab hold of me. These are dangerous times, dangerous times. I never thought I'd live to see. I mean, the thing that strikes me so much about the chorus of Dangerous Times is its vulnerability, the the sense that uh, the characters are recognizing um, the danger and then looking for some sort of nurturing, someone to hold on to uh, through that yeah. danger. The the togetherness of it is it, both it's both sad and, and also at the same time it is um, uh, there's a warmth to it too, and that overarching sense of uh, of being vulnerable to forces that are beyond our control. I think is an extraordinary uh, piece of work right there. The, the emotions that are conveyed in just those small sections of, of a broader song, uh, just incredible. Uh, uh, I heard the, uh, the Stargazer version before I heard the, which now I now understand to be the original version on the EP. Uh, and in both cases, it's the same. So uh, hats off to both of you for conveying that. Just an amazing, an, an amazing Thank piece of you. work. I, I've never successfully, well, I don't like co-writing it generally as a just a, a general rule i <laughs> i happen to 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 really love writing with alex and these songs fl- flowed out pretty quickly uh and we had a couple um like three-way writes with a wonderful artist named sierra noble as well um who just ha- happened to be living she was living at alex's house and she's a brilliant artist and wow we were like, we're like, come on, you know, like it, and um, so that was really cool as well because I love Sierra, um, but yeah, like I, th- I think the thing with co-writing is just um, everyone's really honest, everyone's really, when it's working, everyone's really vulnerable and open, and feels and feels comfortable throwing out everything, and also just letting, just being aware of of knowing when someone's really connecting and someone's really receiving some stuff from their antenna and and letting them kind of drive the 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 ship for a little while if that makes sense you know yeah like there's some there's some songs where i can definitely remember bringing it to alex and and saying hey i really love this melody and this chord progression like what do you think and then there's some songs where i definitely remember alex just having like the majority of the 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 feel and the vibe and, mm-hmm. and I was just there to bounce stuff off of or, or maybe work help with a chorus or a it's a it's an ebb and flow you know and, yeah. and that's how that's how it should be like we're, we're just thinking about what's best for the song and what's best like what's conveying the emotions the best it's not about um our you know our feelings or our, our um you know what I mean like our personal feelings like sure Obviously, we we respect each other so much, and and I'm a huge fan. So like, if I if I if I said to Alex, hey, I like this more than the other thing, it's not you know, 
we know that it's not personal. It's about this. It's about the song. Yeah, just a, a a broader question as far as the current uh, uh, music recording process, where you're uh, putting together albums, putting together EPs, maybe even in some cases putting together singles, and you know, just ensconcing myself in the indie music scene, especially over the past year. Um, I'm extremely curious about. Uh, how these things get started in terms of planning. Like, are audiences still consuming, like, full-length albums, like 12-song albums? Or are audiences more interested in just picking up a song that they like and making their own playlists and so on using the different uh, platforms? The paradigm has entirely changed over our collective lifetimes and it's yeah. a, it's, a, it's a whole new world of marketing music out there uh, you know alex yes. how is that uh how do you go how do you set about planning for something like this knowing that uh audiences are extraordinarily different than they were even 10 years ago i mean honestly i think one you can't <laughs> um to a certain extent i mean i think you just have to do the thing that turns you on as an artist. And I think anytime I've ever tried to like second guess the market or the, you know, the, some hypothetical audience group, it, it's always fallen flat. And, um, and I think people are very sensitive to energies of, you know, the things of pieces of art. Like if you truly love something and you've infused it with this energy of excitement or of curiosity of, you know, uh, I think people pick up on, on those things. And, um, and then on the flip side, I think if, if, you know, when, when, when songs are written by a focus group or like planned out to within an inch of their life in terms of like the rollout, I sometimes think that people can sense that also, but I, I don't think there's a right or wrong. Like I do think, you know, I think Jesse and I both have a part of our, um, audience that loves see, still buys CDs it still listens wow. to albums as a whole that you know um, but then of course there's there is a whole segment of the population who are coming up now who don't and have aren't interested in, in albums and stuff so I think that really it has to come from the artist like if if you need to make an album because that's the statement I think you just make it yeah. Um, I don't think you you necessarily you know I realize that an, the the concept of an album was uh, actually a marketing yeah. <laughs> concept in the beginning <laughs> like you know let's 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 package a thing that can be more expensive than the song that everybody wants but <laughs> but I think it's been turned into its own art form yeah. that I really love and and I I wouldn't say that every song that I write and I won't speak for Jesse but uh, I mean not every song belongs on an album and it's really nice actually these days to have the ability to release those like you know orphan songs um as their own thing and they can live in their own world um and then also when you have statement to make that's larger than one song um i'm i'm about to put out a solo record next in february and it's an album and it's a concept and it had to be it had to be that album, you know, but then there's other, and then this Kivalina album as well, it had to, I feel like it had to be this group of songs yeah. um, to be effective. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's like a right or, or wrong that applies to all of the music industry yeah, <laughs> yeah. anymore, you know? 
Is there outside pressure to just pump out singles or do you feel like, you know what, look, this is this is my work. I'm going to group these things together in album form and uh, maybe even put a you know, with this, for example, with this EP where there's an overall concept grouping the songs together, uh, making audiences want to buy the longer form things. Uh, uh, what are your considerations yeah. as you go into uh, uh, releasing new music? Um well, well, yeah, I think like Alex said, there, it, it could be, it's nice to have the options, you know, like, I mean, if, even if you go in and record 15 songs at a time, um, maybe five of those songs are on like a B-Sides EP or they just live in the digital world and 10 of those go on a, a CD and a vinyl record. It's, mm. it's nice to have that, that option and, and hopefully to have things do well on all the different formats. So people that consume music on Spotify, you know, um, there's people consuming music on vinyl, um, CD, like it's great when it all works, but I think, I think it comes down to, um, the quality of the work and I've, and and just the passion of the work. So I've, I've been really focusing as much as I can on being an artist, um, again, and not focusing quite as much on the business side of things. Of course, like, I just I just recorded a new record in September, mm-hmm. um, and we're just about to like get together and talk about like what the marketing plan is and what the release plan is for that because we'll release um, we'll create a bunch of content video you know do some videos um, you know plan to have singles released and stuff so we'll still be releasing singles and stuff next year um, but the plan is to release to release a full album you know and to have everything that goes along with that vinyl and CDs and t-shirts and that album release tour and stuff. I, I still really dig that, you know, and I think, I think it's cool to have that body of work, especially if you're really, really proud of it. Um, yeah. and it's great. It's cool to have album reviews and it's cool to have, um, it's just, I, I, I think that's still really relevant and, um, that's, that's what I dig, but I'm, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a throwback. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear that the the traditions are superseding the uh, the move from physical media over to digital media. I'm, re- I'm I mean, I'm there's still albums. That, com- yeah. yeah, I mean, there's still like tons of albums coming out. You know what I mean? There's so much. There's more music coming out than ever before, and there's mm. more um, music being consumed than ever before. So. Um, I still think, but but I I really do think it comes down to the the, the quality of the work and um and there there is some luck involved and there's a lot of showing up involved but but I, I um I'm just getting back to just trying to be as good as I as, as I can be as an artist and, and to grow as much as I can as an artist you know and I think the success will come from that yeah right right what's uh what's next for you Alex what do you have planned uh, on the horizon what do we have to look forward to um, so I, uh, I, I split my time, uh, with my uh, artist stuff and I also produce, I'm a record producer for other artists. So I've been working on a few releases, um, with some other, um, bands that are coming out soon. Um, I'm, I'm making a, a record with this band Delta Ray that's coming out, uh, early in March, I think next year. And, um, and then uh, I am releasing my next solo album in February next year, uh, February 21st. And so I'll be doing some touring uh, 
roll out of next year and just kind of giving, trying to give this, this album, uh, uh, as much of a life as it can have. Are there any plans to uh, do further collaborations? I know, Jesse, you just uh, also worked with uh, Lizanne Knott on uh, your uh, 2018 yeah. Sunset Avenue Sessions album. And Lizanne Knott, I just I discovered her through uh, through Mike Farley, uh, your manager. Yeah, and, uh, yeah he's great. Yeah. yeah, he is great. In fact, I want to thank him right here and now because so much of the music <laughs> that I've been playing on my show has come from him, including you guys. Oh, my including Michael best. McDermott, so many others, Brian Lissick, and of course, Lizanne oh, Knott. Yeah. And are, are you planning any uh, collaborations on the horizon or what, what do you have going on uh, in the coming year? Yeah, there's a, there's a possibility um, of a really exciting collaboration that may or may not happen. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> mention it. <laughs> it, it, it <laughs> I'm, I'm I, I, it cool. A- anyway, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to pressure the other person. Um, <laughs> I, I love, I mean, I love that, but I mean, I love, I really love writing by myself. Mm-hmm. And I think those, for the most part, those are, those are my best songs, except for some of these songs with Alex and maybe a couple other artists like Michael Logan, um, some different people that I've written, I think really well with, in the past. Um, but there's something about collaborating and doing like a project with someone that, mm. that seems to bring something different out uh, of me. Although th- this, this did not start out as Alex and I saying, Hey, let's get together and write a concept EP about, about this village. <laughs> like we just wrote one song and then it just turned into six, you know, like it, it was a very organic natural thing. And I love that, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, but yeah, of course. It's always fun collaborating with Alex and other just, I mean, people that inspire you, people that maybe bring something different to the table than you would do um, in some way. And it, it expands you and, and it inspires you in a, in, a, in a really wonderful way. Do you enjoy being on the tour? On tour? Uh, I, you've got a 15-month-old, so I'm sure this particular tour is going to be, uh, is it going to be more difficult this time around because uh, you've got your family uh, waiting back home or are they going with you? No, yeah, the family. Um, it's it's always been that way. Um, almost almost every tour, not all the overseas tours, because my wife has a mobile job. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I tour with my family almost um, almost all the time, like almost exclusively. Um, so Lily's been on tour since like three months old and of course she was on tour the whole time she was in the womb so like (laughs) she like she tends to sleep better in the car and um and uh she loves loves being at the shows like you know before her bedtime and um uh this is just something that's very uh, backstage backstage she insists on only red m&ms backstage is that (laughs) exactly insisting i mean lately we just had to like like she's getting really strong, you know, and like, <laughs> like we just have to like physically restrain her from from like climbing on stage. Like she's not. <laughs> she came out, she came in on stage the other night and just waved to the whole crowd, and everyone just like went bonkers, you know. And oh, she yeah. loved it. She just absolutely loved. She wasn't afraid. She just she just <laughs> loves it. And so she's been a riot. And our our dog comes on tour with us, and it's a it's um yeah it's it's a little different 
touring with the Terrys, you know? Well, I got to tell you, it, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to finally get to talk to both of you. Uh, I am so grateful to be able to play your work on my show, and I intend to play the hell out of uh, Kivalina because I think this is such a, a crucial, important project. There's a way that music, as I was saying before, music can cut through all the bullshit and get right to the emotional core, I think, of, of the crisis itself. Amen. Can't thank you yeah. both enough for, for making this album, for making this EP, and uh, thank you for your time Thanks today. So really, much, Bob. really Bob. appreciate it. Thank you, Bob. Yeah. Someday, my love, the wave will come ashore, and we won't have to hold on anymore. Oh, you fly away on the wings of a bird. You won't have to say a word. I'll know. And all that's been broken will return to the
This is Ryan Knight, and if you've enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love my podcast, Amped Up with Proud Resistor, where we dive deep into progressive issues, Trump's crimes. And we have great guests like Rosie O'Donnell, Rob Reiner, and Malcolm Nance. You're such a name dropper. Oh, you know. So come on and join us at Amped Up with Proud Resistor on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network.